Let me pray for us. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that you do give gifts by our Holy Spirit, and that you do give gifts to build up your church and to further your mission. So I pray now that as we talk, and as I seek to apply your word, uh, that you would give clarity, and that your people would be helped, and that ultimately, Lord, we'd have a better grasp of what it looks like to follow you in faithfulness uh, in the gifts, especially these ones uh, that we often struggle to know what to do with. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do this um, raise your hand up style. If you want to throw your hand up. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Jacob has a microphone. Love it. If you, have a, if you have a question, flag Jacob down. He'll come by with the microphone, and you can ask it. Um, let's start. I'll break the ice. Sorry? I'll break the ice with a question. Yeah, please. And I figured the microphone would help the questions also come through on the recording. Um, so I've, I've always wondered about, um, like, say with the spiritual gift of evangelism, um, I evangelize a lot, but I don't know that I would see, like, a lot of fruit in people coming to faith proportionate to like the amount of evangelism happening. Um, whereas I have another friend, he's maybe not as like tasteful in how he evangelizes, but he could just say Nineveh return and repent and a bunch of people fall on their knees and, and mm. weak faith. So does the spiritual gift of evangelism require God to actually save people whenever you're doing it or at, often? So the question is, does the spiritual gift of evangelism and now do the rest of it. Um, does the spiritual gift of evangelism require like yep. the effect of people coming to be saved versus just like a right. faithfulness to right. evangelize whether or not it's happening? Yeah, I, so I think this is part of the, the first point this morning about like having neat categories about like this is my gift and this is who I am. Uh, I think it's really important for us to remember uh, like every Christian is called to evangelize. Uh, every Christian at some point in their walk will, will teach somebody like more immature in the faith in them, like the hope of the gospel. Uh, we all, and I'm looking at some CG leaders here, like shepherd in some c capacity. And so I, I think what's, what distinguishes between like what we're all called to do as Christians are those things that the Lord takes by his spirit and especially empowers in believers. And so I think someone who has a spiritual gift of evangelism is seeing particular fruit around the using of their gifts. And so that's what, how I would distinguish like in Ephesians when Paul talks about the evangelists. I would say that's the spiritual gift of evangelism operating in that way, seeing particular fruit. Uh, you know, this will sound like classic Jake, but like Tim Keller has, has a great sort of barometer sort of how we think about ministry, uh, and that is like both faithfulness and fruitfulness. So it's important that we're faithful in our ministry, like doing the work of an evangelist, which is the call of every Christian, but also leaning in on those particular points where we're um, gifted by the Spirit to be especially fruitful. And so those two things together are what equal an effective ministry, faithfulness and, and, and fruitfulness, uh, where we're leaning into not only how the Lord has gifted us, but also our personalities, uh, other things that I think fit under the, the realm and the banner of spiritual gifts, which is broader than just the lists here. Does that answer your question, Jacob? Great. Jen? Yeah, 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 please, please, please. Jen Chong, East Vancouver. Um, also, I just think that when you are um, prompted by the Spirit to pray for somebody mm. or to evangelize, you may not see the fruit of that labor ever. Mm. Um, maybe it's a person on the street, and but you're planting seeds and another person will water. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have to trust and believe in your heart that what you're doing in that moment, although it may not um, be immediate. And another thing is the gifts of the spirit are for the edifying and for the building up of the, the church, but also we're a part of the church. And if we're evangelizing and we're being put on the spot or feeling nervous, like I do when I public speak, like right now, <laughs> I think that we are also encouraged in our own faith. And so mm -hmm. that, that is not only for the education of somebody else, it's, mm -hmm. it's building up our own faith as well mm -hmm. and our maturity. I think that's a really good point that Jen brings up. So for some... Uh, in the whole like continuationist, cessationist conversation, uh, who talk about the gift of tongues, surely not being a gift for today because how does that edify the church? I, I think we have to remember that, that even as we're edified in the use of our gifts, like the overflow of our own self-edification leads to the well-being and health of, of the church. And so self-edification isn't a sin. It's not, it's not a wrong thing to be edified in your own using of the gifts. Um, you guys, you guys can leave that. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, so, that's, I think that's a great point, Jen. Thank you. Jen Chong, East Vancouver. <laughs> Capri, are you texting something? Or are you... Um... So, Capri's got to pretend that this is low-key, but really... <laughs> well, I have two here. So, one of them is yours, one of them is not yours. Question. How do we discern whether it's, it is our conscience... Sorry. How do we discern whether it's our conscience or the spirit in the giving of direction? So, I, so my assumption there is, the question is, like, what is just us? Am I reading this right? What is just us and what is actually the spirit? Looking generally at the room here. Steve? Yeah. So I think that's a great question. So discerning our gifts is not a, a, a task that falls to you alone, Steve. So because we've been joined, as Paul will say next week in 12 to 31, uh, to a body the, both the, the practicing of gifts, but the dis discerning of gifts is also a body exercise. So as you serve Steve, I say yes to this, yes to this, and no to this. You have this, you have this, I don't see this at all. And over time, it becomes increasingly clear like what your particular gift mix is, right? As you, as you serve uh, in the body. Further, this is just a question, we talked about this earlier, of the growing immaturity in Christ. It's gain to know Christ's voice through his word, in community group, in prayer, and as you step out in faith. So I think a big part of the answer to that question, Steve, is creating a culture where you can fail, where you can try out like a particular gift exercise and, and fail and not be reprimanded for, for trying. Um, and so that'd be my encouragement uh, to you, like in terms of discerning, is this just me or is this of the Spirit, is try, and Christ City is a safe place for you to try out your gifts, for you to fail and to receive uh, like the right exhortation and correction from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I really want to emphasize uh, those things uh, in addition to just growing to maturity in Christ and, and getting to know what his voice sounds like as opposed to bad pizza, right? Yeah. Does that, does that help at all, Steve? Feel free to say no. <laughs> if it doesn't. Um, could gifts of healing include effectiveness in natural caregiving to restore health? Absolutely. So that's where, again, the categories of like, what is a gift? I just think when we like expand that word in the New Testament, the charismata, and we come to see like all of life is this grace gift from God, then absolutely it has categories for like nurses and doctors who are particularly good at their job. 
even non-believing nurses and doctors who, by the common grace of God, are working effectively to preserve and to even save lives of people. And so, yes and amen, absolutely, natural, natural caregiving, uh, being a doctor, a nurse, uh, is absolutely in that category. I was actually reading a Pentecostal um, theologian earlier this week, which is good for me to read people of different persuasions. Uh, and he was, and he included this in sort of that gift mix as well as like, so like those who serve in the healthcare field. So yes, with the more practical side of wisdom and knowledge, uh, e.g. Uh, Bezalel and Exodus being in charge of crafting the tabernacle, be included in the listed wisdom and knowledge gifts of 1 Corinthians. With the more practical side of wisdom and knowledge, be included in the listed wisdom and knowledge gifts of 1 Corinthians. So if you're not familiar, in Exodus, I think it's 31, it says that by the Spirit, craftsmen are given ability uh, to build uh, the tabernacle like skillfully. So there's this empowering by the Spirit uh, to build skillfully in that context. I think to differentiate from what's happening in Exodus 31 to what's happening in 1 Corinthians is that Paul is using those words very carefully in the context of 1 Corinthians because there's a particular obsession with wisdom and knowledge in Corinth and what Paul wants to say is that wisdom and knowledge is defined by Christ and administered according to Christ as we have the mind of Christ. And so he has a particular meaning there. All that being said, when we talk about the gifts not being exhaustive, like, you know, in Judges 14, uh, the spirit rushes upon Samson and he tears a line in half. Like, I would like that spiritual gift. That'd be super cool. Uh, you know, in Exodus 31, the craftsman is given uh, skill to build in, in, in the tabernacle. I absolutely think that those gifts could continue today. Um, but do I think it's the same wisdom and knowledge that Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians? I think he has a particular thing in mind uh, in that um, setting in 1 Corinthians, where he's countering the Corinthian understanding of wisdom and knowledge, which is self-obsessed, rhetoric-obsessed, uh, sort of for my benefit. It's like, you know, upward mobility kind of stuff. So that, that, that's what I think uh, he's getting at there. How would the gift of tongues help to edify the church? Someone's getting ahead of us. <laughs> so the gift of tongues edifies the church uh, when it's interpreted. I think that would be my, my, my word on that. But to my previous point, uh, someone speaking in tongues who edifies their own spirit is then empowered to go serve the church. And so in that kind of roundabout way, it also serves the church. I also, and I don't know what to do with this, so this is us figuring stuff together. Um, I know a woman who has a, was at a Bible study this week, and another woman uh, sort of, you know, stepped out in faith and said, can I pray for you? And this woman said, yes. So praying for her in tongues. Uh, this woman who was receiving prayer didn't get an interpretation, didn't know what the other person was saying, and yet left that time extremely encouraged. I don't know. <laughs> So we're going to talk more about tongues in the coming weeks. Uh, but I think, you know, there are, uh, like I said, interpretation is one of the most direct ways that tongues encourages the church. Paul mentions that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 14. But again, the self-edification of a believer is not opposed to edification ultimately of the church. Uh, and so I think that's how tongues edifies and builds up the greater body and furthers Jesus' um, mission. Also, talk to any missionary, and at least one of them has a story about them being on the mission field and being able to speak in a different language that someone there knows, and them hearing the gospel in that way. So in Acts 2, we have what scholars would call like xenoglossalia, which is like human languages, right? They speak in these human languages. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, more specifically, 
uh, what we call just glossalia, these, these heavenly languages. And so when people speak in other languages, as it happens in Acts 2, and I think still happens today, particularly on the mission field, for whatever reason, uh, there are opportunities for evangelism and, and building up of the church in that way as well. And so that's how I think tongues can build up the church today. Do non-Christian... Oh, okay. Do non-Christians have spiritual gifts in a sense? We'll word this better. One sec. Um, I'm not going to look out because I know who's saying this. Um, does someone's gifting as a non-Christian only become a spiritual gift once they're saved? Or should they expect it to be totally different? Yeah, so Daniel said last week, um, like natural gifts, gifts that we're born with, gifts that we like have just been who we are, uh, are very much in the charismata umbrella. These are grace gifts from God. And so I've always been able to talk with people and talk in front of people. Before I came to Christ, I did it for my own gain and for my own glory. Now in Christ, that gift is being used for, for Christ's glory. And now empowered by the Spirit because I've been given the gospel, which is the power of God, it's being used to win people to Christ as opposed to winning people to myself or my, my worldview or whatever I just think to be, you know, uh, the most important thing at the time. And so I think we have to think more broadly about how God graciously interacts with the world. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, right? How the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Like Jesus graciously has given Canada a relatively, like, peaceful existence, right? This unique time. This is a grace gift from God. Uh, he's given at times leaders who don't know him wisdom and discernment and ability to lead effectively. That's why we're to pray, Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy, for our leaders. Why would Paul command us to pray for our leaders if those prayers couldn't be answered in their effective leadership, even if they don't know Christ? Um, and so I think we have to think more broadly about God's gracious dealings with this world and, of course, how he deals especially with us as those indwelt by the Holy Spirit, gifted in particular ways. Um, and so I don't want to single the person out, but did that answer kind of the, the question? Cool, cool, cool. Could be over here, could be here, could be, any, could be, could be anywhere. That's a good question. I think, I think um, to the person who asked it, I think that there's a lot of reflecting to be done on that about how God graciously interacts with the world. Um, I mean, even, you know, let's, let's be controversial for a second. Uh, think about Ravi Zacharias. Like an incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted person. Many people came to know Jesus through his ministry. And yet, when he dies, it's, it's revealed. You know this, maybe you don't, but the horribly demonic things that he's engaged with. Evil, evil stuff. And yet God used him. And so I think the one caution I want to I put for us here is that a gifting is good, but character is better. And that's so important. You can be incredibly gifted, but if your character does not keep pace with your gifting, uh, then, then things are going to go downhill really fast. And, and we all in our minds know of a situation of someone incredibly gifted without the character to sustain that gifting. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, Paul says, 14.1, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Uh, but before that, he says, pursue love. And that order matters. It really, really matters uh, in 1 Corinthians. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is the center, the center of this section. Without love, tongues, like clanging cymbal, a noisy gong, useless. 
Without love, prophecy, who cares? All these things done in the character of a godly man or woman. And so that was a bit tangential, but I think it's important to say because I don't know if we'll be able to talk about that specifically uh, in our series. I read C.S. Lewis's Miracles a number of years ago. I have a fuzzy recollection that he made a distinction between the types of miracles that occurred in the, in, uh, the Bible times that occur outside of the laws of nature and miracles we might expect to see today. If I'm remembering this correctly, do you think such a distinction exists? So I haven't read uh, Lewis's Miracles, and so I won't engage too much with that book because I just I can't do that uh, in good conscience or even knowledgeably. Uh, but what I would say is that sort of the general, general agreed-upon definition of, spirit, of a miracle amongst theologians today is some sort of special divine action. So the idea being, as we talked about in the sermon, that God is always acting on the world in power, sustaining it, Hebrews 1.3, right? right? The power of the gospel, as people are converted, God's always acting on the world in power. But there is occasionally, there are occasionally these moments of these special divine action uh, that transcend our boundaries of what we would call normal. Um, and so that's the categories I think of when I think of miracles, is special divine action. Uh, the quote from Grudem this morning, uh, he adds at the end of that, that produce awe uh, in, um, in those who see it. So it has to like, produce some sort of, like there's something confounding about what, what's happening here. Um, but there's a lot of debate as to what it, a miracle is. Of course, Hume uh, famously wrote against miracles, uh, and his whole argument against miracles, um, and this is right around, I think, 17th century, 18th century? Someone help me out. Great. Let's do, Jacob says, I think, 17th. It's for sure 17th. Um, his whole argument is that, like, he starts from the presupposition of miracles are impossible, therefore they don't happen, therefore they're impossible. And it's this circular argument against miracles. But what we're seeing more and more now, even from, um, like secular philosophers, uh, is that there is just a basic concession that things outside of our normal experience uh, happen. If you want to read more about miracles, Jacob plugged this book in the summer. I would highly, highly recommend this book. It's called Miracles Today by Craig Keener, The Supernatural Work of God in the Modern World. He begins the first chapter with defining miracles, and then he just lists miracles, all these attested to miracles. So last night, as I was asking the Lord for faith, I was reminded of this book, and I just read it. And I would encourage you just to read this book, especially for us in the West, especially for us, um, you know, who aren't used to seeing these things, uh, who are removed from some of those, you know, daily sort of miraculous encounters uh, that our brothers and sisters in the East or the Middle East or, uh, you know, the Global South are experiencing. And so I would highly recommend this book. I don't know if that answers the question about C.S. Lewis and miracles. Um, But I think all the miracles we see in the Bible are miracles uh, that we, we should expect to see today. Like Jesus says, right? Like, greater works you, you, you will do. Um, was there a unique time for those miracles as the gospel was getting off the ground in those early days? Absolutely. But I don't think that argument is against the argument that miracles continue today. I think it just shows you that miracles were very much concentrated in that time period. Um, and so that's the end. Um, some people are naturally gifted at being hospitable. When they become a Christian, someone might say your spiritual gift is hospitality. At what point did that become a spiritual gift? 
So I think this is a good discipleship question because we've talked about a lot of this as a church, talking a lot about hospitality and the role of hospitality and evangelism. I think, and this is using terms as I'm defining them and maybe not how they're properly defined, and so come at me if you'd like. But I think before we're a Christian, uh, I think we're really good at hosting people. I think hospitality needs to be defined according to the biblical definition of the word. And that biblical definition comes to us, I think, in Romans 15, where Paul says, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So in the truest sense, if the Bible shapes and molds and forms our world, in the truest sense, hospitality proper is not being practiced until it's being practiced in the name of Christ, until we're welcoming people in the name of Christ. We can host people. We can love to have people over. We can love to put on parties. But hospitality if we let the Bible dictate terms, I think we should, uh, is practice when we welcome people in the name of Christ. Um, welcome a whole bunch of different people uh, in the name of Christ with open arms and with radical generosity. And so I think that speaks to that uh, question there. But to that point, whoever asked this question, um, there is, I think, a connection oftentimes when people come to Christ. Like, I like to do this. How can this natural ability be redeemed for, for Christ's purposes? That's always a question we're asking when people come to know Christ. It's like, what, what do you all already like to do? You know, do you already like to, to, to host? Great. Let, let's talk about hospitality. Do you already like to teach? Great. Let's talk about what teaching looks like in the church. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a clarifying point on that? Because I feel like um, this is questions come up a few different ways, and I'm trying to summarize um, the answer I think I'm hearing from you. Is it that um, everything that everyone has? Uh, is a grace gift from God. It becomes a spiritual gift when we put our faith in Christ and practice these like things that we receive from God in grace into like the fullness of what they actually are because they're saturated with the gospel. So our hosting becomes hospitality. We have the hosting gift from God, but like it's a spiritual gift of hospitality, rightly understood, when it's pointed unto gospel work. Is yeah. that, am I hearing that right? Yeah, so I would just say like three things. Empower, it becomes a spiritual gift when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like spiritual in 1 Corinthians is not like general vague spirituality. It's like spirit, capital S, spiritual. Uh, and used towards the edification of the church and the furthering of God's mission. So those three, those three sort of criteria really quickly are sort of like a, like a, a quick sort of way that we could define spiritual gifts and distinguish you know, things prior to Christ to then having, you know, encountered Christ. Uh, sometimes I view gifts as something that equates to instant and earthly expectations. But as a result, I feel there's always something lacking in my life. How do I shift my perspective towards spiritual gifts as to how God intends his people to experience without expecting something for things I originally hoped for? So I'm going to answer this question. If I misunderstood it, uh, whoever asked it, Clar clarify, but sometimes I view gifts as something that equates or, or leads to instant and earthly expectations. But as a result, I feel there's always something lacking in my life. So I, I think, you know, I made that point, spiritual gift inventories, Enneagrams, Myers-Briggs, whatever you want to say about that stuff, and we can talk about that some other time. Um, whatever you want to say about those things, I think these, these things, which can be useful in, in certain capacities, I, I think these things ultimately are, they're asking existential questions about ourselves. Like, who am I? Like, 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 like who, who am I? Whereas the Christian says, that's, that's not a wrong question to ask. But we're saying, who am I? 
in service of, of the bigger picture, in service of, of, of the church. And so sometimes we get stuck on the who am I question and forget about like, I'm asking this question so that I can serve the body more, more faithfully. Uh, and so I would just, if anyone here is feeling angst or discouragement about the way that the gifts are, are being used or, or not being used, I would just encourage you, there's a great freedom in knowing that when you're serving the church, uh, you're doing what God has, has called you to do in a very general sense. And as you walk in community, read your Bible, listen to the Spirit, pray, uh, that spear gets sharper, so to speak, uh, and, and, and you'll be of greater use in, in, in the kingdom. Um, as you allow people to authoritatively speak into your life, uh, to, to highlight yeses and noes in your life. Um, and so I, I think that's the difference there is the Christian asks the next question after who am I, but like, but like who am I in service of, of the church? And it keeps us from this sort of like irresponsible navel gazing. Uh, again, if that's not the question, also came with a Go Mariners text, which I've chosen to ignore. If the more accurate translation of the gift of wisdom and knowledge is a spirit-filled wise response, are words of knowledge, in the sense of them uh, being reading other people's mail type words, be considered a prophetic word rather uh, rather than a word of knowledge? Yes. So I think uh, when people say, like, I have a word of knowledge for you, and, they, and they're speaking, uh, what I would say is prophetically, right? Like they have no, they're just kind of entering into an outside situation with no prior knowledge of the person or the situation. I would say what they've called the word of knowledge is actually, I think, what Paul's going to call like a prophetic ministry, I think that's under the prophetic category. I think word of wisdom and word of knowledge is specifically in 1 Corinthians being used. Again, only one verse in the whole Bible to talk about these two gifts. So I could be very much wrong here. People have disagreed with me. Uh, in fact, Sam Storms disagrees with me. Uh, and he's fantastic on the gifts. I'd highly recommend his book on spiritual gifts. Uh, I, I think given the 1 Corinthian context, I think when people say, I have a word of wisdom, word of knowledge for you, what I want to receive from them is something like biblical counseling and not like, like, like I, like I saw you outside, you know, uh, watering your plants and whatever. That, that could be legitimate, but I think it's under the category of prophecy. Does that make sense? We'll talk more about prophecy in the coming weeks, because that's a big question, and we'll determine how we understand and, and see the gifts. But I think that's under the prophetic category, not a word of wisdom or word of knowledge. But push back, ask questions. You just talked about the importance of love, but can you talk more about how the fruits of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and self-control, relate to the gifts of the Spirit? Relate to the gifts of the Spirit. I think that's a great question. So I think if we think of the, a house that we're building, at the foundation of this house uh, needs to be uh, the lordship of Jesus and his lordship producing in us his gifts, sorry, his, his fruit, which is the next layer of the house, and above his fruit are his gifts. So whereas if someone came to me and said, Jake, I have no fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life, I want to ask questions about you that pertain to whether or not you know Jesus or not. I want to ask those questions. Like, I, you might not know Jesus, and this is a great opportunity for me to tell you about Jesus, right? But if someone comes to me and says, Jake, I don't know what gifts I have, that's not a, let me tell you about Jesus question. That's a, like, let's figure this out together 
question. So I think the gifts are the context, sorry, the, the, the fruit are the context in which the gifts operate, in which the gifts are responsibly used. So for example, if someone has a prophetic word and they're particularly immature in their faith, uh, they might say, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to say it brashly. I'm going to say it boldly. I'm going to say it without any concern for the impact it might have on you pastorally or given your life situation. Like there's a lot of wisdom and maturity that these gifts need to be operated within. Otherwise, people get burnt. People get hurt. And we've all experienced that before. Maybe many of us have experienced that before. The irresponsible, characterless use of the gifts. And so what I would advocate for is like peace, uh, self-control, joy. All these things are the context in which the gifts are used um, and operate within. And so, for example, when we pray for healing for somebody, um, you know, they come forward. Uh, we're asking them from a place of, like, security in Christ, knowing Christ, like, like what's going on in your life, right? Like, like, like describe what's happening. And, and it could be that, like, there is, like, some sin in their life that, like, is actually the root of what's leading to, to a physical ailment, and we'll talk more about that if we want uh, right now. Um, but that takes maturity. I would never say to somebody who came up here for prayer, uh, for healing, who doesn't get healed, like, well, the answer is you don't have enough faith. I think that's pastorally irresponsible. Furthermore, I don't have those kind of eyes into the spiritual realm to be able to discern that or determine that. Um, and so to me, that's a question of the fruit of the Spirit resulting in maturity in my life, where I then can operate in the gifts more responsibly and helpfully in the church. Does that make sense? If not, we can, we can kind of push more there. You don't have the text. You can just throw up your hand. But it's a really good question. I have no more questions on here. One's coming. Hume was 18th century. Jacob was wrong. Thank you. That was Jacob who wrote that about himself, to be clear. No less true. No less true. Other questions? Jen. Yes, wait. Oh, you have to hold it, though. Jacob? Do you have the mic? Jen, we want to get this question on the recording. It will serve our people well. Jen Chong, East Vancouver. <laughs> I'm formulating a question that yeah. I'm, it's not, um, my brain's not putting together properly, but so I'll just kind of talk it out. Mm -hmm. um, I have in my life a person who navel gazes, who mm. does not bear the fruit of the Spirit, who professes to be a Christian, mm. and I know I'm called to love and to forgive 70 times 7, mm. um, I, but I'm feeling like the, the contrary Spirit is negatively impacting my own mm. Spirit. Mm -hmm. So uh, words or references or um, help, yeah. I guess, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, Jen, I'll, I'll, I'll start answering, and you can leave the mic there. If I miss it, if I miss it, Jen, then just clarify, like, no, I didn't mean that, I meant this. So I think there's a place in Christian community uh, to tell someone, 
I'm not seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I love you, and I care about you, but I'm concerned about your walk with the Lord. So I think it's just a, like a very baseline place. There has to be a place in the context of loving and safe community to be able to say something like that to one another. So my encouragement to you, if you haven't already, uh, would be just to speak in love and in grace uh, the truth of that message. Like, I'm not seeing the fruit in your life. Can, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's happening. To ask that kind of question. Um, I don't know if I understand the second part of, of that question. Something about the contrary spirit bringing you down? Yeah, so in, in living alongside, I guess a, a generalized way is a person who lives in, for example, chronic depression and mm. does nothing to, um, like doesn't see a counselor, doesn't get medicine or, you know what I mean? There's no sure. movement in that. Sure. And so it's, you know, there is forgiving and then there is loving and, and there is speaking truth. And then there comes a point where it's like you're an immovable stone. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Advice. Yeah, and I, and I think you know to the to the whole point of of this section of First Corinthians is like Paul is talking about the Lord moving supernaturally in ways that we humanly cannot move. So I want to be careful to talk about the conversation of of mental health, um, and you know the very nuanced and careful conversation we have to have around that. Um, but if you've been a faithful friend, suffered alongside, journeyed alongside, spoken truth, gently and in love, which is your call to you as a Christian, I, I think to come to a place where all I can do is, is pray for this person is not to admit defeat in the Christian life. It's to say, like, like I, I've, I have no more resources. I have no more wisdom. I have no more, like, links to send. I have no more. I have no more. I have no more, like, patience. I have, I have no more. And so, Lord, I need you to do something here that I, I cannot do. And further to that point, and this is, Jen, this is my own heart here, probably not yours, but this is mine. Like, I, I need often, because I'm a person who wants to see people change. I want to see people change. I'm a pastor because I want to see people change. I need to have the perspective of Jesus who looks on the crowd and isn't like, you idiots, get it together. It says, like, he has compassion on them. Um, and so I want to be constantly informed by the compassion of Jesus and how that challenges me as a person who wants to see people change. But at the same time, having done all I can, I want to be faithful in prayer to minister to that person uh, in, in prayer, um, whether in their presence or away from them. Uh, and I think there, there's a question here too, we haven't talked about this so far, of fasting. Like I think fasting plays an integral role in the Christian life. Uh, Storms talks about fasting and the role it has uh, with power in the Christian life and unleashing power in the Christian life. Um, I think there's something significant there for us to press into, especially in our sort of hedonistic, get what we want when we want it kind of culture. And so prayer and fasting, when all you know seems lost, seems to be sort of like the, like the historic Christian response in those impossible situations. Again, Jen, I, I don't know if that, we can talk more offline if that'd be more helpful. Yeah. Is it wrong to have a skeptical perspective on some of the less common gifts like prophecy? Is it wrong to have a skeptical perspective on some of the less common gifts? Sorry, uh, to have a skeptical perspective on some of the less common gifts like prophecy. So I, I would just say, as someone who can deeply relate, relate at one point in my life to that skepticism, 
that 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Again, reminding ourselves that Paul has not created distinct categories between the less common and the more common. It's one, one category of spiritual gift for him. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he says at the end of verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, especially that you may prophesy. And so I, I think our skepticism, like all of our thoughts, needs to be submitted to, to the word of, word of God. And just recognize that for many of us, because we do live in a, a modernistic, rationalistic, reductionistic age, post-enlightenment, uh, that we're, we're born with this innate skepticism. And my prayer, when I'm confronted with my own skepticism, I was reading the Miracles book last night, and I found like a, like a, like a little bit of a scoffing coming up in me. I just said, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of my unbelief. Help, help my unbelief. Give me faith. Um, and so my prayer for each person who is coming to the series with skepticism is, one, like, I, I know what it is like to be skeptical of these things. I'm there myself. Uh, I was there myself. Uh, two, um, the word of God remains clear in my estimation. And so you have to reckon with 1 Corinthians 14.1, not to mention the rest of chapter 14, not to mention the gift list elsewhere, not to mention the entire ministry of prophecy throughout the entire Bible. Um, and so, yeah. Jacob? I, w- I would also add just uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Here, speak speak up. I would, I would also just add 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not despise prophecies. Yeah. But test everything. Hold yeah. fast what is good. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding, of course, that a lot of people's skepticism around prophecy has been formed and shaped by the improper use of prophecy, right? And so they can easily just say, like, well, that's, that's clearly crazy or clearly wrong. So let's get rid of all of that. We want to be cognizant of the fact that we're formed and shaped not just by our, sort of the general zeitgeist of our age, but also our own particular experiences, like harmful experiences around the gifts. And so that's why this series is so sensitive, because it's not just like the gifts. It's like how you've been particularly hurt at certain moments around the improper use of the gifts. And what healing the Lord wants to do also in your heart, not just in the gift stuff. The gift stuff is good and cool and right, and we're talking a lot about it. But there's also undoubtedly many of us, including myself, who need to receive healing about how we perceived and understood the gifts over these years. And the skepticism and bitterness uh, that maybe has taken root to, to such extent we, we're not aware of. Um, and so I would just say that. It's a good question. What do you think about planned prophetic events or people that call themselves prophets? I, I've actually never been a part of a planned prophetic event. So I, I don't actually know what that is. Uh, I just imagine people come, and whoever wants to ask a question, want to help me out here a little bit. I imagine people come and they like give prophetic words. Is that, is that what's, what, no? Here, you just said microphone there. Unfortunately, I have been a part of mm. planned prophetic events. And typically they are either a person or a couple right. or maybe a group right. of people that claim to have this spiritual gift and are going to offer it to the group. Yeah. I think it's a really good question, Andrea, because you do see in Ephesians uh, 4, right, 
Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And so you do find in Ephesians 4, like the prophetic gifting. And again, we talk about Ephesians 4 and the gift list and the title is there. I think that's probably a longer conversation. But we do find that title of, of prophet in Ephesians 4. My problem with quote-unquote prophetic ministries is it seems to me, as Paul says in chapter 12, verse 11, that the Lord apportions to each one as he wills. So he can say, like, in this season or in this moment, here's a prophetic gifting for you. And in this moment, you, you don't have that, 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 that gifting, right? And so my understanding of some of these ministries is that they presume, same with healing ministries, they presume upon the kindness of, of God. They presume that these gifts are what, what um, those who are more charismatic would call residential. Like they, they rest upon someone, like just sort of permanently, as opposed to like occasional giftings, which come to us sort of in a moment, and then it's gone, and then maybe in another moment, and then it's gone. And so I don't know exactly how we should think about residential versus occasional giftings. It seems to me that some lend themselves to being residential, so like a teaching gift, for instance, seems to me that something I can operate in or others can operate in fairly regularly through a period of time. And yet, uh, there are some that seem to lend themselves more to an occasional nature, gifts of healing, for, for example. And so, personally, I'm wary of a, a whole ministry built around this one particular gift, especially in the fact, as Paul will say later in chapter 12, is that those who are prophetically gifted exist not just in their own narrow sphere, but in the context of the larger body. So I, I want to make sure that we're, we're balancing all these gifts with teaching gifts, shepherding gifts, evangelism gifts, right? Uh, gifts of healing. And so uh, the, the, the highlighting of a gift more than scripture itself highlights it is something I'm, I'm cautious of. Again, that was a very weak answer to your great question, Andrea. But I, but I think it's a, it's a good question. I have no new questions up here. If that's it, I'm Jacob. The question where I talked about the Hume thing, I actually did have a question in there too. Yeah, what was the question, Jacob? Um, yeah, I, hold on a second. I could just ask it. Um, so, MB churches, my experience, like rarely practice. So, Mennonite brethren, for those with a lingual, Mennonite brethren churches. Is our denomination. That's what we're a part of, yeah. if you didn't know. It's not yeah. obvious. Good shout, good yep. shout. Um, so, it's not common that in, the, in our churches that we practice the quote-unquote weird spiritual gifts. Sure. Um, and, uh, and in our, like, our circles that say we believe in the spiritual gifts and we're MB, like, we say we want to practice these gifts in our churches, but often, like, don't. Um, and we'll say, oh, we practice them in CGs, and then, you know, the bubbles up. But, like, that's often the answer and still not often the occurrence. So I just, um, I'm wondering, like, what, do if we want to see these gifts practiced more often, yeah. what do we plan to do differently from the churches that are in our circles yeah. to create space for that, if that's something that we want? That's a great question. I, I, if I can just back up, I, some of you know church history is kind of my jam. I love the history of the church, and so I'm just going to situate this sort of contextually for us. Reformation happens, so we're going far, <laughs> oh, we're going that far back. <laughs> Reformation happens, and what the reformers are responding to in the medieval Roman Catholic church is a lot of sort of just strange mysticism where, um, you know, like, relics are a big deal. People go and, like, you know, pray at, like, the baby teeth of Jesus to get, like, blessings. And so there's a real sort of, like, unhinged, 
I think we can fairly say unhinged sort of mysticism that the reformers are responding to, which is really funny because if you read the reformers and their commentaries on 1 Corinthians, uh, they'll downplay these, like the more, as Jacob said, weird spiritual gifts because of their context that they're responding to, which is like all about these mystical and supernatural things and has a complete devoid of the word of God. So the Mennonite Brethren tradition as Anabaptists or rebaptizers comes out of that tradition, that Reformed tradition, or that Protestant tradition, uh, which has emphasized the word of God, sometimes at the neglect of the, the clear teaching on the gifts that we do find uh, in the New Testament. So just for context, that where we're at, that's where we're at. Of course, in the 20th century, you have the Pentecostal movement uh, in Los Angeles. Other places, of course, right now in the global south, Pentecostalism is huge. Most of your brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way, when you, when you get to heaven, will be Pentecostals. So prepare yourself for that. It's going to be really fun. But seriously, that's, that's the, the global church doesn't look like us in, the, in, in that sense. And so we get to this place now where we are in this Reformed Protestant tradition uh, where we have centralized the Word of God. I think, I think the in to spiritual gifts for us, and this is just one way, I'm sure there are other answers to this, I, I think the in for us is prayer. I think what we do on Wednesday night is the most important thing we do midweek in this church. <laughs> I think the engine of all that we do as a church happens on Wednesday nights. I think if there are going to be gifts given to people and unleashed to God's people, it's going to happen on Wednesday nights. It can happen in community group. It can happen, the Lord can do whatever he wants. But I think Wednesday nights, what we do in prayer are very, very, very important. And so when we come to prayer, acknowledge our need, acknowledge our inability, acknowledge that both the failures and the successes of our tradition, when we come on Wednesday nights, we say, Lord, we need you. I think prayer is, I think prayer is the door into the gifts. And so um, that would be my encouragement to all of us. Yeah. This Wednesday, 6.30. If no one has more questions, that's a great place to end. 6.30 this Wednesday, come. We'll sing a few songs. It would be great. We'll also pray together. And Lord willing, um, you know, gifts we use for the building up of the church and the furthering of God's mission. Let me pray for us. Going once, going twice. Feel free to send me an email. We can talk offline. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and you love us enough to not leave us alone. And you love us enough uh, to take our confusion and even our hurt paths and hurt experiences and bring us to wholeness and healing. So I, I just pray for those who are here uh, this morning. Lord, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you pour out your gifts abundantly upon them? Uh, would the thing they ought to do be the thing that you're helping them to do? And we love you, Lord. You're so kind. You're so gracious. And as we step out and as we fail, uh, would, we, would we know that we fail in the context of a loving and gracious community uh, that seeks to support one another as we build each other up? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone. This is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver. And I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.